Welcome to our series on the book of Hebrews. In this study, lead pastor Tim Brooks and associate pastor Paul Kern will be sharing life-impacting truths. The Gospels reveal what Jesus did on earth. But now that Jesus has resurrected from the dead and entered into heaven, what does he do? What role does he play? And how does that affect our lives today? These questions and more will be explored in this informative and revealing 10-part series. Now, join lead pastor Tim Brooks. We are in lesson number 7. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at, in this 7th lesson, the 10th chapter of Hebrews. Now, we're only three more lessons before this is finished. And, and um, you know, I'm always wondering, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I can't get this message out of my heart. I can't get done with what we are talking about. And we have spent, in every lesson, Paul or, or me, no matter which one of us teaching, we've been talking about the tabernacle. We've been talking about the sacrificial system and how the tabernacle works. And nobody in the country that I've ever heard teaches the tabernacle better than my mom does. Uh, and she has a series on this that she does on the workings of the tabernacle, how the priests did, what all happened. And you say, well, I don't want to know about all that. It's vital because it's a blueprint of your salvation. We got to know about this. So before we finish this, I've asked mom to come on a Wednesday night and pick up right when we finish. And she's going to do three Wednesday nights on the tabernacle. We're going to try to get you some pictures up here on the screens of what she's going to be talking about so that it's not here where you can't see it and let her explain this uh, to us. So um, uh, this is going to be fantastic when we finish this. And, and And the truth is, I told her, I'm always looking in December, how are we going to lead into Christmas? And I can't think of a better teaching than to get us ready for the birth of Christ. So those on podcast, y'all stay tuned in these coming weeks as we finish up Hebrews and move right into this next series. Those joining us on podcast, you don't want to miss a single one of these sessions. In this chapter, we're going to see the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. In contrast to the imperfect sacrifice that was continually offered in the Old Covenant. So far in Hebrews, for those of you who have slept through the first six lessons, we have seen that Jesus' priesthood is superior because his priesthood belongs to a better order, the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron's. I don't wanna go back and reteach that. We've spent several weeks talking about the priestly order. The second thing we've seen is the new covenant functions on the basis of a better covenant. Paul and I both had talked quite a bit about that. The third thing that we've seen, it is in a better sanctuary, a heavenly sanctuary, not an earthly sanctuary. And all of this totally depends on a better sacrifice. All of this totally depends on a better sacrifice, and that's what we want to talk about in this seventh lesson. Chapter 10, we're going to see three reasons why the sacrifice of Jesus is far better than the old covenant sacrifices. For those taking notes, I'm going to look at this in three parts. Chapter 10, verse 1 through 10, Jesus' sacrifice is better because it takes away sin. It takes away sin. Number two, verse 11 through 18, Jesus' sacrifice does not need repeating. 
And then number three, verse 19 through verse 39, Jesus' sacrifice opens the way to God. This is a vital, vital, vital lesson. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're tuning in because you have to get this. You have to get this. You have to understand this, that no matter what kind of religion a man has, no matter what kind of religion you personally have in your heart, if the religion of man cannot deal with the sin issue, it has no value. Now, say that over and over and over to yourself. If the religion that a person has does not deal with the sin issue, then it has no value. I don't care what kind of concepts and how beautiful and how it makes you feel and how euphoric you are. If it does not deal with sin, it is worthless because sin is our problem. By nature, man is sinful. Now, here's a huge, huge misunderstanding. I want to make sure that every member of this church understands this. We are not sinners because we sin. Understand this. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. And that is a gargantuous difference. And you've got to get this. Sin is in our nature. Many don't understand this. Our world leaders don't understand this. We're always going to go have peace talks. We're going to have peace talks with people who hate us. Well, we're going to have, well, we're going to have peace talks. We're going to come together in peace. We're going to have world peace. Let peace begin. We're going to have peace talks. We've got world leaders flying all over country to country to have peace talks with sinners. You've got to understand the sin nature of man. I talk about this all the time. I don't know why this is an arguable point. Now, some points are arguable. I get it. I don't know. I do not understand how you can argue. Man's born basically good. Have you ever seen a baby in your whole life? Clearly not. Clearly not. A room full of toys and they're going to fight over the one toy. Man is not born basically good. We are born with a sin nature. Does it dawn on anybody that no mother teaches their child to bite? All right. You don't take your little 12-month-old to the side. Now, we're going over to some people's house. Whenever they get the toy you want, grab them on the arm and bite it till blood comes. No 12-month-old has ever been taught to bite. No one is taught to pull the other kid's hair. No one is taught to throw a fit. No one is taught to kick their legs and to sling themselves in the floor. No one is taught, no. No one is taught that. Who? They got that from their mother, not from me. I tell them that all the time. Look, we're born with a sin nature. That's not an arguable point, and the whole world wants to argue about this. And I don't know how you can argue about that. We are born with a sin nature. And we have to have a nature change. Well, we just need to be taught to do good. You can't teach someone to do good who has a sin nature. 
You can teach a pig tricks, but if you leave the door open, it's going to go wallow in the mud hole. Why? Because it's a pig. I don't care how educated you educate the pig, it will go to the mud hole, not because you hadn't taught it, but because of what the nature is inside the pig. And so when the door is cracked open, you will return to your vomit. As the Bible says, I didn't just come up with that gross term. When the door is left open, you will return to sin because it is in your nature to do so. You were born a sinner. That's why you sin. You don't sin and it makes you a sinner. Now, has everybody got that? So you, I mean, you're not going to argue with me about that. I don't know why everybody in the world, it's not painfully obvious. If your religion doesn't deal with that, it's a valueless. That is our problem. Well, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that, and we should. Our problem is our nature. My nature is to be selfish. My nature is to be greedy. My nature is to throw a temper tantrum. My nature is to be angry. My nature is to be depressed. See, we have a sin nature, and if your religion does not provide a nature change, I don't care how many good philosophies and ideas it has, it's of no value. Man's problem is a sin problem. And sin separates us from God's presence. So if your religion does not deal with the sin issue, then it is valueless. Have I already said that? I'm afraid you slept through it the first 20 times I said it. Let's get started. Verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Do you see the need for a better sacrifice? Why were the old covenant or the sacrifices in the Old Testament, why were they inferior? For the simple fact they had to be done each year. They had to be done over and over and over. The nature of all that the old covenant sacrifices themselves made them inferior. I like what it says. They are a shadow, a dim preview. Verse 1, preview. The sacrificial system that we study in the Old Testament. Oh, to read the Old Testament, I don't get nothing out of it. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's a picture. It is a dim preview. It is a shadow. It is teaching us what is to come. The system in the Old Testament was never meant to be permanent. It was only temporary from the very beginning. Therefore, it could never accomplish anything permanent. My mom and I were just talking about this day before yesterday. God could not send Jesus the day after Adam and Eve sinned. Because they didn't know they needed him. 
They did not know they needed Jesus. And so Jesus would have had no effect on the world had he come at any earlier time in history. It took generations to learn the sacrificial blood sacrifice and life under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament to see the need for a permanent solution to this mess we got on our hands. We were doing it, it was the right thing, and we were doing it, it was the right thing, but it just was not getting the job done. Man could not produce what needed to be produced. Couldn't do it, and we tried for thousands of years. Finally, at the end of ourself in our religious system, then Jesus comes. And we're well aware of what he did because he fulfilled all that we've been trying to do for several thousand years. In verse 1 through 4, follow with me. We see the old sacrifices powerless and ineffective for five reasons. Follow with me. Verse 1, the first one. The old covenant was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Number two, second part of verse 1, the offering of sacrifices had to be repeated. This in itself shows they're powerless to get the job done. You have to keep doing it over and over and over again, then you're obviously you're not getting it done. Number three in verse two, the offerings of sacrifices never removed the awareness, the consciousness, the worry, the guilt of sin. See, because of sin... I don't feel bad about my life. I can do what I want to do. When you're by yourself, you feel guilty. You feel ashamed. You feel embarrassed. When Adam and Eve did what they did, the first thing that happened was they felt guilty. They felt guilty. Nobody has to tell you that. You know that was the wrong thing for you to do. And you feel bad about what you just watched on the internet, what you just watched in the mag, what you just did, you feel the way you just talked to them, what you just said. Sin makes you feel guilty and you live with a guilty conscience. Fourth thing, number three, verse three. Number four, it's in verse three. The truth is, the offering of animal sacrifices were actually a reminder of sin. They weren't a remover of it. They didn't take it away. And in the fifth, in verse 4, the offering of animal sacrifices were powerless to take away sin because they were animals. An animal cannot represent the life of a man. It's not an equal sacrifice. Animals were not the one that sinned. Mankind was. Animals are corrupt and aging and imperfect in themselves. So they could not offer a perfect sacrifice because they are an imperfect being. Now in verse 5 through 10, we see the perfect sacrifice is Jesus. And the author shows four facts here. Follow with me. Verse 5, number 1, the perfect sacrifice was a body prepared by God himself. They're quoting Psalms 40 here. Number 2, verse 7. The perfect sacrifice was Jesus doing the will of God and doing it perfectly. Then he was capable of being the perfect sacrifice for us. 
Number three, verse eight and nine, the perfect sacrifice made it necessary for God to take away the old sacrificial system and establish a new testament or a new covenant with man. Number four, verse 10, the perfect sacrifice sets us apart through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. Look at verse 10. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Now get this, once for all time. A sacrifice once and for all time. Do you see how this is a new covenant? Based on the last couple of thousand years of, of human history with God, wow, this sacrifice is once I don't have to come up here with my dove. I don't have to come up here with my sheep. I don't have to bring my little lamb up here. Every time I turn around, I've got to bring another lamb up here. Except, wait, this is once and for all. Uh, we're seeing in chapter 10 three benefits that explain why the sacrifice of Jesus is superior. Number one, Jesus' sacrifice takes away sin. Number one, the reason Jesus' sacrifice is superior is it takes away sin sin. Number two, Jesus' sacrifice need not be repeated. Let's go to verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits till his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people. On that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Now, verse 12, the fact that Jesus sat down after he ascended the Father, we've already talked about this, is proof that his work was completed. It's not still up in the air. It's not like it can go either way. You got to stop living like it could go either way. God or the devil here in my life, it's a completed work. And you've got to get a hold of that in your lifestyle and in your thinking. This thing is not still up in the air. Jesus won and he sat down. This is a done deal here. Jesus is seated in the presence of God. That's over. Now, in verse 11 through 14, the contrast is between the old sacrifice and the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And there are four contrasts in verse 11 through 14. Follow with me. Verse 11 and 12, the priest of old was a never done with work. This is pictured, and we've already talked about this, by his always standing there were no chairs in the tabernacle. Number two, verse 11 and 12, the priest of old made the same sacrificial offering over and over for sin, but Jesus one time forever sacrificed and sat down. Okay, number three, verse 12 and 13, the old never took away sin, but the perfect sacrifice of Jesus triumphs over all of our enemies, the enemy of sin, the enemy of evil, the enemy of disease. It's under his feet. 
it says. And then number four, verse 14, the old failed to perfect man. Here's what happens in the new covenant. The old covenant told me what not to do, but I did it anyway. I wished I didn't, but I did. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and you went out and did it. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and you went out and did it. What happens in the new covenant is when Jesus comes into your life, he writes the law on your heart. Now, there is a law that forbids me to go in tomorrow while Deanne is at work and steal her TV. There's a law that forbids me for doing that. But that's not what's keeping me. It's written on my heart, and because of what's in my heart, I don't want to go and steal her TV. Well, I tried, but I messed up. Well, I tried. Well, I tried not to steal your TV, but I've done it for the 10th time. Well, I tried. I, I've been sober now a day and a half. I'm at, oh, I messed up. Oh, I tried. Oh, I'm just messed up again. You got to have Jesus come into your heart. All of the programs that you can go to and all the rehabs that you can go to and all the 10 steps that you can take, you're going to go right back. As soon as you get out, as soon as somebody's not watching you, you're going to go right back. Until Jesus comes so strong in your heart and he writes it on your heart, and I don't even want to do that anymore. I don't even want to do that anymore. I don't need the Teen Challenge director looking over me I don't want to do that anymore. See, a heart change takes place under the new covenant. The old covenant was just laws telling you not to do it. But you did it anyway. You did what you didn't want to do. What you said I don't want to do, you went out and did it anyway. Why you do that? Because of sin that lives in you. You're a sinner. What do you need? I need the law written on my heart and it takes away, and I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to be known as that kind of person. I don't want my wife to look at me as that kind of person. I don't want my parents to deal with me as that kind of person. I want a life change. And that's what Jesus does, and a 10-step program can never do that for you. Verse 14, those who have trusted in him don't live in fear and in guilt because they have been perfected in God's eyes. Now, the point here is the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 15, 16, 17, 18. The, the Holy Spirit works within the believer's life. And the Holy Spirit puts the power within the believer's heart to will to do God's pleasure. And there was a time in your life that on Monday you started planning on the sin that you were going to do on Friday and Saturday. When you accept Jesus as Lord of your life, you're still going to mess up from time to time. But I don't want to. See, I've got a new want to in my heart. Jesus come in and now what I want to do is please God. I don't always do it. But I want to please God. I don't want to go and steal from somebody. I don't want to go and get in a fight. I don't want to lose my temper. I don't want... See, that want to has been changed, and that's what the Holy Spirit does in your life, is it changes that old nature. And religion can't help you if it does not change your whole nature. 
The Holy Spirit bears witness to the fact that there is no more need of a sacrifice. We're looking at three things. Number one, Jesus' sacrifice takes away sin. Number two, Jesus' sacrifice need not be repeated. Number three, Jesus' sacrifice opens the way to God. You, you have to get this. You, 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 I don't know if God hears me. I pray and I don't even God, like God's so far away. Tim, I, Tim, do you think God really hears me? You, you're going to have to understand the new covenant. You're going to have to understand the new covenant. If anybody ever asks you what your favorite scripture is in the Bible, if anybody ever asks you, here's what your favorite scripture is, because you don't know. Your favorite scripture in the Bible, I want everybody to turn there and mark this, because this is your favorite scripture in the Bible. If anybody says, what is my favorite scripture in the Bible, it is Matthew 27, verse 51. Matthew 27, verse 51, there's not a close second favorite scripture in the Bible. Now, you might have some other favorites, but they're not even close to your favorite one. Your favorite one is Matthew 27, verse 51. Because when it was finished, verse 51 said, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. But there's not a close second. Your favorite scripture in the Bible is Matthew 27, verse 51. And the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Without that, you have no access to God. You got to take a lamb. You got to go give it to a priest. You got to tell him, confess your sins to him. He's got to go talk to God for you. He's got to come back to you what God said. What God said ain't good. You're lost. You're up creek without a paddle. Verse 51, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You don't need a TV evangelist. You don't need a 1-800 number to call. You don't need a 1-900 number to call. You don't need some biggie to pray for you. The veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom. The veil of the temple is torn from top to bottom. And, and I don't mind if, if, if it's more comfortable for you to call me Pastor Tim. That's okay with me. But I'm not going to call you Plumber Dave or Mechanic Bill, or Roofer Charlie. That's just what we do. I'm Tim, you're Bob. Jesus opened God's access, not me. Not me. I'll come here and preach the word because that's what I do. When my roof gets a leak, you come fix it. Whenever my tire breaks, goes flat, you, you fix flat. We'll all do what we do, but what we do don't get us to God. Verse 51 Jesus tore that veil, and you have access to God the same as anybody in the world. Yeah, but Tim, don't, you don't know what I've done. What you did or didn't do makes no difference under the new covenant. It's what Jesus did. And until you get that, you're going to flop around your whole life. You're going to flop around your whole life. Verse 19 through 20, 21, 22, let us draw near to God with full assurance. Let's draw near to God unwavering. You fix your hope and you hold on to Jesus. Verse 24 and 25, consider how to help one another. Love to do good deeds for each other. It's not a selfish existence. The Christian life is not a selfish existence. And we got too many Christians coming to church and living a very selfish life, and you've missed the Christian life. Verse 25, faithfulness in your church attendance. Well, Tim, I just have my time with God on the lake. You selfish, selfish person. 
Well, Tim, God speaks to me by myself, and I can watch TV, and I don't have to come to church. I can watch TV. Well, way to think about nobody but yourself. I'm so proud of you and your maturity. It's your coming here. It's your sitting here. It's your making church happen for our young ones here. It is your giving of your money that's letting us have children's church right now while we speak. I mean, it is your investment. It's your involvement. It's, it's what you do that benefits all. Well, I can just touch God by myself. Congratulations. You just totally missed Hebrews chapter 10. One of the most severe warnings to believers is given in verse 26 through verse 31. Under the Old Covenant, there were no sacrifices for deliberate and willful sin. And the major theme of Hebrews is God has spoken. Now, how are you responding? See, when they refused to believe... And they lived in unrepented, knowing sin, there is no forgiveness. Look, well, Tim, I've committed the unpardonable sin. There's no forgiveness for me. The only time there is no forgiveness is when you are continually, willfully, knowing sinning. The Bible says what you're doing is wrong. You know what the Bible says. You know you're in sin, but you're doing it anyway. There's no forgiveness for that. But when you repent, when you turn direction and you walk away from that, there is immediate forgiveness for anything you've ever done. But there is no forgiveness for you continuing to live in what you know is willful disobedience and in sin. Verse 27 through 31 is severe judgment. Severe judgment. The writer here goes into the text in verse 38 around which Hebrews is written. Verse 38, we have to live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, four places the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Now here's what Hebrews is showing here. I got to hurry. We are not just saved from sin by faith. Yes, we are saved from sin by faith, but it doesn't stop there. Now we live by faith. We are saved from sin by faith, But when that happens in your life, you have to now live by faith. Now, this is plain as I can put it. I've worked on trying to put this all day. Here's my line. The believer who lives by faith will go on, verse 39. They won't turn back. They won't shrink back. They won't turn away. The believer who lives by faith will move forward in their walk with the Lord. The believer who lives by sight will shrink back and will eventually turn away. A believer who does not walk by faith, but walks by sight, your feelings and your emotions will sooner or later take over. Sooner or later, you'll turn around. If your walk with God is based on sight, eventually your feelings and your emotions, well, I just didn't feel, well, I thought, well, I felt, and it'll turn you away. But whenever your life is lived on faith, then you move forward in your walk with God. Sin is forgiven, access to God is given, and we live a lifestyle on faith. Chapter 10, Jesus' sacrifice takes away sin. Jesus' sacrifice does not need continual repeating. And Jesus' sacrifice opens the way to God. Y'all stand. Lord, we're just, all I can say is thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. 
that while I was a sinner, while I was a sinner, you sent your son to die for me and to offer the once and for all sacrifice that my sins could not be covered or not swept under the carpet, but that my sins will be taken away by the Lamb of God. Thank you, Lord. And because of that, I accept that by faith, and I live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Our prayer is that you will experience Jesus in greater ways. If you would like to learn more about how to give to the ministry of CMC, please go to cmchurch.com giving. Thank you for listening today, and God bless you.